Welcome to the EPS podcast, Sustainable Solutions Now. A panel of experts explore the immediate initiatives, solutions and practices available to dramatically reduce the environmental impact of live events. start quickly by thanking Chris and the event production show for inviting us in to talk sustainability because uh, we've been coming back for a few years now and uh, it's great that they give us this platform to keep the conversation going uh, and every year it kind of feels more important that the conversation um, is real because our planet is is on fire the climate emergency is not 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 going away it's getting worse and we need to take action and i think um it's great that chris invites us in and supports us through the year in doing that um but very briefly uh i'm sit, sit on the steering group uh, vision 2025 with some very talented uh, sustainability climate activists i suppose and um we've been going since 2015 when we launched the show must go on report i can see some of my colleagues in the room and from there to now our journey has been very much certainly until covid came along we were knocking on doors that were quite firmly shut um and developing what vision 2025 is which is a a free to access suite of resources case studies supplier connections uh things to help you uh, host sustainable events um then we hit covid and i think coming out of covid collaboration has been a key a key word that we've all sort of felt come more into our lives and i think um it's that collaboration has brought sustainability to the top of the list for i think a lot of us in the room and um yeah as i said sort of 10 years ago rob we were banging on doors and they were shut weren't they yeah and they very much they they very much feel like they're open now and the solutions are here and the people i've got around the table the sofas here today uh, have been implementing those solutions and will be the innovators in bringing those solutions to the fore in, 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 in the next couple of years. So I'm going to introduce them uh, and, uh, and we're going we're to have a bit of a conversation about what those solutions are and what's, how they might be taking place. So I'll start with Rob. Uh, Rob, Rob Scully, Head of Operations at Zap Concepts, uh, Event Power, Client Scientist, quite often angry stampy foot person because people won't let him do stuff even though he knows the, the answer uh, <laughs> so and I think Rob Rob is um, don't know, you're, you're all about the decarbonization of energy at outdoor events mainly and venues uh, for live, live events so we're going to talk to you a little bit in a while about the new technologies that are coming in there uh, Rebecca uh, Rebecca was the sustainability manager for green space dark skies project uh, uh, with production company Walk the Plank last year, and that that took you around 20 events around the UK, sort of tour festivals kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. So we got a lot to talk about there in terms of what you achieved, which was some real, uh, yeah. You raised that you raised the benchmark on what could be done. I think in terms of sustainability, which is great. Uh, we have Sam. Sam's the new boy on the block. So he is to me. <laughs> but uh, so Sam has just joined uh, AG Europe as the as their sustainability director. So you're responsible for all of AEG's uh, venues, festivals, uh, and, and touring uh, across Europe and the sustainability across that. So that's quite a large remit you've taken on there. And I suspect when I see you at this time next year, your hair will be my color, sir. 
good luck. Uh, and Abana Fairweather, who is the CEO of Legacy Marketplace, um, so with a slightly more corporate sort of background in terms of the events that you norm you deal with, isn't it, Abena? And but you've you've put together a kind of a. a a sourcing platform to help organizers find sustainable suppliers and connect people with each other to, to really sort of embed sustainability into their events. So I suppose where, where I'd like to start um, you off, and then I'm going to sit back and stop talking, uh, you'll be pleased to hear, is, is to really sort the solutions we're talking about that are there now, um, how, 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 what you've done, what you've implemented, and how you find implementing them. Um, I think I'm going to go to my right first to you, Rebecca, and sort of talk about what you did last year across your your series of um, 20 or so events. So kind of what what were the key things that you introduced, and what was your approach in in doing them, really? Yeah, sure. So, hi everyone. It's great to be here. I'm Rebecca. Um, as Graham said, worked on a project with Walk the Plank last year, who um, are just down there. If you ever want to go and chat to them, they're here for the rest of the day, obviously. Uh, so we did a project last year called Green Space Dark Skies, which was a series of 20 different events that traveled all around all four regions of the UK. And um, the premise of the project was to kind of open up the conversation on our right to roam, our relationship with land and the environment and nature, and um, our responsibility to, to look after it. So making sure that we are as environmentally and socially conscious as possible and delivered our events in as low carbon a way as possible was very, very important to us. So we set out a very comprehensive sustainability strategy that made sure that we covered all our, all our impacts. Um, and it was a big exercise as well in how we how you go about collecting the kind of data required to understand your carbon footprint and your social footprint and your digital footprint um, so making sure that you were you know covering all bases so we i think the main points that i want to discuss today are the fact that it's very important to be ambitious, but you need to be strategic as well. So what we did was we looked at our project and what we were doing, um, which was going out into these beautiful spaces, into national parks and areas of outstanding natural beauty and, you know, triple SIs and, and putting on events there that brought people out into nature. Um, and they worked and did some kind of choreography that we filmed with these geo lights. And, um, we looked at what that actually meant. And the biggest impacts for us, we understood that, okay, attendee travel is a big one. Getting people to these places, how are we gonna keep that impact as low as possible? We were also touring the production. So Green Space, it was kind of a combination of like little mini kind of festivals or cultural arts events happening all over the place. But we were also touring as well from one to the next. So we had to think about both aspects, building infrastructure as low kind of light touch as possible when we got to these locations, but also how we were moving things from one place to the next and how we were keeping that those emissions as low as possible on the tour. Um, how important it was to empower your team. So we worked, as I said, across 20 different locations. Every single different location we had a different production manager, a different creative producer. We had a different team delivering the event. We had different suppliers coming on board. It was 
it was madness, but it was amazing because we worked with so many different creatives and so many different event professionals all across the UK. And so empowering our team to understand, I think carbon literacy in, our, in the events industry is, is a very important and useful tool. So we worked to train up our core team so that our, our core members of the team could then filter down this knowledge and this understanding to the rest of their teams and kind of build this culture within their little mini events that were happening so that everybody was on the same page and really understood what we were working towards, really understood our strategy. And I worked with the production managers to look at the data that, you know, give, do some kind of estimates, look at the data and see where the pinch points were and the kind of the challenge areas were for the individual events. And if you make this decision, this means this. And But look, if we swap that out and use battery energy for this instead of diesel, look at what a difference that makes. And, and using the carbon tool that we chose, the calculation tool, to, to look in real time at what those decisions and the impacts that, you know, the decisions they were making, what impact that was having. So that was really useful. Um, also, the importance of collaborating with your suppliers. Um, and, and working with them and partnering with them where you can, having conversations with people um, to discuss what you're aiming towards and seeing if they can innovate somehow and, and create solutions with you. So we, a particular one was um, energy for us. How were we going to get a power solution out into the middle of nowhere, halfway up a mountain to power our essentially what was our front of house for the technology to power these geolites. How were we going to do that? It, that? Something that was lightweight, mobile, something that had the capacity to power what we needed to, that it was a clean energy source with no emissions, that it was silent because we were taking it out into the, into the natural environment. How were we going to come up with a solution? And we also, we needed it to be really lightweight as well because we, we, there are amazing battery solutions out there, but they weigh half a ton, if not two tons. So we needed something that was modular that we could kind of take apart, take up the mountain and reassemble if we needed to. We also wanted to trickle charge on site with either solar or wind, have that opportunity to be recharging as we toured. So we spoke to a lot of different suppliers. Um, we ended up working with a company that were able to work with us and, and develop a solution that was totally bespoke and unique to our needs that was um, basically a series of battery packs that were wired up in parallel on a trailer with a solar panel on top that we then towed with us on tour, which is an amazing solution. And we never would have got to that solution if we hadn't reached out and spoken to a load of potential suppliers and kind of challenged them a little bit and said, how can you help us? You've got these amazing batteries, but you know, can you work with us to deliver this kind of solution? And given half a chance, your suppliers will rise to the challenge and innovate. It's, it's amazing. So that kind of collaboration and partnership is you just get talking to people, reach out and, and, and discuss what your challenges are and, and how you can possibly overcome them. So those are my big three takeaways from the project. <laughs> That's uh, that, yeah. That's 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 brilliant. I mean, obviously, yeah. The energy and the battery and the collaboration, all the things we've been talking about, and we'll talk a bit more about energy in, in, in a little while with with Rob. Uh, and 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 
And you talked about, I mean, the, the really the planning, the strategy, the importance of that, and then, as you sort of say, sort of having the whole team come along. Last year, um, there were a lot of supply chain issues. Did, were you okay with all that? Yeah, for what, to be honest, our production was, we kept it super light touch. There weren't, for us, any major, major supply chain issues that impacted what we were trying to do. So that wasn't too much of a problem for, for us. I've got a comment behind you here. I don't know whether you can see, but Bill G here from Activate and Dorset worked with you, walked the plank to make sure one of your 20 Green Space Dark Sky events at Maiden Castle, as well as collecting all the data. Did you measure the amount of time that we invested in collecting this information? It is a significant time commitment, which all companies need to know <laughs> from the get-go. Sounds like um, Bill G. Where's Bill? Hi, Bill. Oh, is he? <laughs> Hello, Bill. <laughs> Hi, Bill. Nice to meet you. Sounds like you spent quite a lot of time collecting your data. That's a very... That's, it's a, that's a great point, Bill, isn't it? Very good point. Yeah. I think it's very important when you're building a sustainability strategy and you're, the amount of data we collected was wild. <laughs> and and when, you're, when you're writing a sustainability strategy that is going to go into the amount of depth that we did, for example, looking at all of our scope one and two emissions, even, as I said, our, our digital emissions as best we could. It's a very complex issue, that one. But, um, and then also your scope three emissions. So you're, you're, we went into so much depth. And we, we covered transport, energy, waste, all of our materials, food and beverage, you know, across the board, absolutely everything. When we hired our team, Within their job roles, sustainability was always a massive part of the project. So that was part of their job spec. We're going to be doing this. We're going to have a really robust, comprehensive sustainability strategy. It's going to be a challenge, and it's going to be new. And we're going to be working with different tools that you've never worked with before, but we're going to be here to support you. We're going to give you the training. We're going to give you the support that you need. So I sat in on you know, big departmental meetings as a sustainability manager. So there was always a presence in the room when big decisions were being made. I think that that's one of the keys for anyone listening who's an organizer and who's looking at being more sustainable, who's maybe on the start of your sustainability journey yeah. or just going out on it. It does require investment of time and sometimes not taking the, mo the cheapest route. If sustainability does will cost something to change what you from what you were doing in 2018, 2020 to what you're going to do in 2023, will take some time, some thought, and maybe some financial investment. But hey, you're saving the planet for your kids. It's worth the investment. You know, let's do it. Um, and I suppose one of those things, moving on to you, Sam, is like is obviously. You're now running a big team of people. Uh, <laughs> how are you finding that? I mean, yeah, so AEG obviously own an awful lot of space and operate an awful lot of festivals and events. And I think the thing that I've really kind of noticed since arriving there is that the ambition has really grown tenfold in the very short time they've actually been focused on these issues. Um, I think there's an amazing quote which always kind of guides my ambition in these areas, which is things are always appear impossible until they're not. And I think if you kind of apply that to so many things in sustainability, um, I think you realize that actually things can change pretty much overnight if you really put some ambition and drive behind it. Um, some things we do at AEG, um, we've obviously turned all of our venues onto sustainable power. Uh, it's all kind of 100% certified and run from the grid. And some more specific things. So. Um, Recently, the Billie Eilish tour that came to the O2, um, 
we went entirely vegan for that tour, um, which I know some of you are probably thinking, you know, Billie Eilish's fans may be a bit more open to going vegan than your average 65-year-olds or over. Um, but actually, this is starting to happen in a lot of places. You see um, a place called Forest Green Rovers Football Club who've gone entirely vegan in all of their food as well. And the, guy, the owner who, of that football club has just drawn a line in the sand and kind of said, look, okay, if you're going to come along to our football matches, then the only way of us delivering a net zero target is to go vegan in the short term, not necessarily forever. You know, there may be ways of farming meat in the future which don't produce as much carbon, but he said, look, guys, let's, let's just do this. And, you know, the average football fan, probably you would expect to be wanting to push back on that, but actually they've really kind of done an amazing thing and the fans now love the food that they sell there. So I'm kind of very much in the camp that we should try and be as ambitious as we can, try and push these boundaries. And when people push back on you, I think, you know, that, that point is very clear. Like, we are ultimately sacrificing our children's future if we don't get up and do something about this and are quite firm with our boundaries. So you're, uh, you're, you're ready to go bold then? I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of being ambitious and bold and those kind of things. I think it, it can apply to everything from you know, meats that you serve in your concessions through to reusable cups. Again, that's like a, it's a thing which in some people's heads does seems to be that just bit too far out of each, right? Like a reusable cup, like people won't get on board with that at festivals. People won't do that at a gig. But actually recently in Germany, in our German venues, the government there has actually banned any single-use plastic cups across all venues in Germany. So when you think about that, that really is quite a change. Um, and both of our major stadiums over there have, have switched onto reusable systems and they're working perfectly fine. So, yes, there is a cultural job to do, but I think we, as event people, are a key part of leading that cultural push. And I think um, as long as we are trying to do that and trying to be as vicious as we can, I think we can have some big wins pretty quickly. So where, where do you think you're going to be bold this year then? Uh, uh, where, where Are you looking at cups? Are you looking at... Veganism? Are you looking? Are we going to see more vegan venues? Or I mean, ultimately, all these things I've just mentioned are quite small drops in the ocean compared to the travel that yeah. we are dealing with. And ultimately, travel is in you know is eighty percent of our total emissions, and it's a vast majority of our scope three. How do you tackle that? Well, that is it's very difficult, and it's a loaded question. I would argue that the market needs to catch up first before we can really start moving that dial. But again, I think we probably do play a role in helping to move that market on as quickly as possible. So it is things like charging diesel drivers extra money for driving to our venues and then using that money to offset their travel. Um, it's installing more EV charging stations at our venues. It's encouraging public transport. These are all things that we can do. Ultimately, they will start moving that dial a little bit. Um, and I think that's important, but you know, ultimately the government needs to get their acting gear when it comes to a lot of that kind of stuff. And we just need to be helping them and helping our fans kind of move towards that direction as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I suppose, I guess with an organization like AEG and being part of the live group, you will be, you will be rattling that government door, won't you? And that's, that's, that's the great thing now is that, the, the, you know, yeah, we need more trains, we need more public transport, we need, and, and that's got a be pressure down as well as pressure up, isn't yeah, it, really? Yeah, totally. And, like, and us as consumers have, you know, a lot of levers to pull with that. Ultimately, we should be voting with our money. And money does speak louder than words often. I think we can all agree on that. And I think if, as long as, you know, us from a venue's perspective, I think we can arm our consumers with the information that they need to kind of make those right choices, right? So when they're buying a ticket from the O2, we can show them what their carbon footprint would be by driving versus taking the tube. 
um, that kind of information does help people to make the right decisions. And I think we are, it's incumbent on all of us to kind of help arm everyone who comes to our events with those decisions and that data. Yes, yes, indeed. And yeah, as you say, incentivize and hopefully reward people for good, good behavior. Yeah, exactly, yes. Um, if I carry on around, around the chairs, <laughs> I'm gonna go to you next, Rob. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because we we've talked about energy a little bit uh, with Rebecca uh, and moving into the uh, the realms of um, sounds like quite a custom battery solar setup you had there. But uh, but yeah, obviously, uh, Rob, I've known you known you for many years in terms of looking at the different things that are available in terms of decarbonisation of energy, whether and where where we are. We've gone on a journey that's come through you know, HVO, non-biodiesels. I mean, do you want to just sort of talk about a little bit what, you'd, what you've achieved last year with Coldplay, Stroke, um, large festivals, and where you are now? Yeah, so, I mean, my, I'm, I'm quite excited about where we are now because, as, as Graham said before, we've, we've sort of been pushing this for quite a long time. I've, I've been involved in an area at Glastonbury Festival that's been solar-powered for more than 25 years, so this is not new, a new thing and we were making systems like what you were talking about 20 years ago where we just make our own systems because they weren't available but now a lot more technology is directly available to the promoters to the to the venues to the, to the tours and um, and also you've got a lot more engagement so if we we spent the last two years working with Coldplay to um, develop a new battery system to power their uh, their stadium tour um, and that was directly that was coming directly from the artists. So it came. It was it was a an ambition of the band themselves. And then we worked with the um, with with the production and with our own technical partners to make that system a reality. Um, and it's just, it's a type of system that's never been built before. But we're uh, we're now using that system as the basis of a of, of a more um, of, of an, a next level system, which which can be used. In, in other in other tours and in venues and on and on festivals um, I think the main thing that I've taken from it is just the level of engagement from at a high level has gone up quite a lot in in the last in the last year or so last couple of years and we're trying to work with people who can set an example so they, they have the budget some, you, know, you were saying you, you need to make investment in these things you have to make um, uh, investment in time and quite often investment in money but if the people who have that budget can make the initial steps then it shows the way for a lot of uh, a lot of other people that so the so in terms of energy in my my experience rob uh as you say sort of the investment and potential you know in, in the equipment has been one barrier to moving forward and, and on the other side of it you've had maybe people from within the industry from the supply side and from the production side a, a, a lack of trust or a lack of willingness to, sh to decarbonize they've they, they seem to have want to hold on to their diesel generators yeah i mean and i'm still hearing that conversation now oh yeah but we got so and so broadcast coming in and they insist on they insist on diesel generators yeah so i think that that's what i'm saying i think that is actually changing now i think right we you know, we work we're working with high profile clients thanks, thanks to what coldplay have done they've actually shown and, that and yeah we're yeah. working with with broadcast companies we're working with high, other high profile events who actually come to us we're not going to them selling our sort of services we're they're coming to us asking what can you do to you know, to battery power our 
our event or whatever, um, which which I think is, is a really good thing. But I mean, one thing I, I would say is the key, which I'm sure you found, Rebecca, with your uh, with your production, is the the key to being able to renewably power an event is knowing how much energy you need in the first place. Um, yeah, which was difficult for us because for so long we didn't know. So yeah, so I mean, the main reason you get large diesel generators installed on big shows like stadium tours, for example, is because they don't actually know what the what they need in terms of energy, and it's more about the energy than it is about the peak power that you require. Um, so what we do is we uh, we try and we, we developed a software tool during COVID when nobody had any work on. We actually um, got a research grant from Innovate UK to develop this software tool, which means that we can, using information provided by the uh, production, uh, develop a, a profile in advance of the show that, that shows how much energy you'll need and how much peak power you'll need. And that's how we, uh, we size the battery systems correctly. And what we're trying to push for is Obviously, a battery system is just a, uh, a store for energy. The energy has to come from somewhere else in the first place. You can't just generate energy out of thin air. So what are we charging those batteries with? Uh, to a certain extent, we're still charging them with generators. And it's, it's more efficient because you run the generator for a much shorter period of time and a much better efficiency and fill, fill the battery up. But what we're pushing for is, especially with venue-based tours, is to have a better uh, availability of grid power so that we can charge from a green energy source from the grid we're also developing rollable solar panels so we can roll out a, a, a big solar panel at, at, the, uh, at the place where we're, uh, where we're doing the show. Um, and you can store that energy in the batteries to be used in the evening, obviously, when there's no sun, which is what we've done at Glastonbury for years at this, at, in the Crossland Nerf field where, where I work. So we do exactly the same. We can run for three days there without any sun, because just be, but we've stored the energy up already in the previous week. Um, so. Yeah, what's the point I'm trying to make? I'm, I'm basically saying that you need to become, when you're talking about being carbon literate, you need to become a bit more energy literate. In, in the past, particularly promoters and production companies have put their faith in, in, the, in the suppliers of the equipment to tell them what they need. And the, but the supplies of the equipment quite often have very little information to go on. So, so what they tell you you need is you need something something big and heavy which is which is going to supply all the energy you could ever want as long as you keep filling it up with diesel or HVO. Um, whereas if you actually make a better uh, assessment of the energy that you need, you probably don't need all of that. And it's not the fault of the of the power supplier. It's, it's just the lack of information. Um, so that's, an, that's an interesting point that you've both made there as well, I think, for everyone, you know, it's, it's, down, it's down, if you're an event organiser or a venue or a, you're in, it's your, part of your responsibility to be carbon literate now. And, and I'm going to come on to Abina now and sort of talk about that a little bit, because that's also, you know, if you're, if, if you're in that supply chain, if you're in that management chain for, for running an event, you know, what, what's your experience in terms of carbon literacy and how well people understand the things we're talking about, the energy, the waste, the, the resources? The yeah, absolutely. It's a really important point, and it's exactly the reason I set up the legacy marketplace. So my background is in sustainability. I worked in sustainability for 20 years, both in-house as a sustainability manager and as a consultant for um, small organizations, multinationals, government, etc but have always loved events. And it was really clear to see that 
these companies had these very grand, really inspiring strategies, and the events people were completely left out of that conversation. And so I'd spend my day advising on these wonderful strategies to meet zero carbon and go to the events, and it would all go out of the window. It was so frustrating, because I'd say, I know you understand this, I've just been talking to you, but events somehow existed in a separate realm. And so perhaps slightly naively back in 2016, I decided I was going to start a sustainable events company and I was going to make events sustainable. That's, that's the mission of legacy. And it became clear very quickly that I think there are two main issues with everybody else trying to make their events sustainable. And one of them is that event organizers do not have time to do that. They are ex multitaskers extraordinaire. They have all kinds of other things going on. They don't have time to be sourcing suppliers and having these conversations we've talked about today. And the second thing is just knowledge. So I'm a, I'm a chartered scientist by background. My area of geekery is energy, carbon, and waste. My team are also, I hope they won't mind me saying this, very geeky on specific subjects in sustainability, obsessed with bats and ecology and biodiversity and water and community and social issues. Event organizers don't have time to reach that level of geekery that we do at Legacy to try and make our events sustainable. So the reason behind start, starting the legacy marketplace was just to make it easy for anyone organizing an event to go to this platform and just buy what they need, knowing that it's been verified to be sustainable. So you don't have to spend all that time becoming as carbon literate as we talked about you need to be, because it's just unrealistic and people just don't have time. Oh, that's interesting. So you're, you're kind of all sort of taking a little bit of that uh, responsibility away from them, but at the same time, you want them to know what they're looking for and what they're talking about, I guess. Exactly. We're just you know. facilitators, really. We want to try and translate some of the jargon into common English yeah. and to just bring a little bit of trust to the industry as well. I, I don't want to be negative, but there is a lot of greenwash in this industry. And it's difficult if you're not an expert to be able to tell the difference between what is truly sustainable and what is, what is not. And so we just want to convert that language into pain language anyone can understand and allow someone to just buy what they need and, and move on to some of the other issues that they can do, some of the other activities they can do to make their events sustainable. That's Yes, and I, and I know when we were chatting earlier on, uh, Abena, that you, you, also, you, you, you also include within your sort of sustainable, in your, in your platform, you also look beyond that into inclusivity, into diversity, into social impact. Into, it's a, you, you've got a wider sort of, it's not just about carbon literacy, is it for you? No, it's not just about carbon. We actually have nine themes that we focus on when we're assessing a supplier for the platform. And they range from energy and carbon, because climate change is, of course, the major issue we're tackling. But it covers waste and materials. It covers community. It covers water use, which is slightly the elephant in the room, especially um, in this country where in the UK we think we have plenty of water because it rains all the time, but the southeast of this country in particular is severely water stressed and so water use is something that anyone organising events should be concerned with, especially if you're organising outdoor events. So we look at water as well. We, we cover all the issues and we try and turn that into some kind of language that's easy for somebody making a decision to, to assess. So we, we try and make sure that carbon is not the only metric being looked at for a sustainable event that we're considering some of the other issues as well. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think uh, everyone in the in the panel would probably echo echo your thoughts there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's conversations that all loop, that they're all interconnected kind of thing. Um, so what, one of the one of the sort of challenges that or opportunities where we are, I feel a bit like Rob that we're on a real sort of sea change moment at the moment where people are, oh, 
Hang on, a listening. Um, but I've got a couple of questions over your shoulder there. So a, a question. Let's go to the board rather than me going off on a question. For an event that is standing out on its carbon reduction journey, we need to understand our current footprint. Can you recommend any tools, platforms, companies that can support us in their first steps? Okay. Ah, oh, thank you. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Does the scale of one issue mean that other amounts can't be started on as well? Transport is a large issue, but not not a recourse to avoid making other big decisions. Okay, so a, a little bit as we've just been talking about, there are multiple pillars of where you can look at your your impact in terms of carbon and beyond. Um, so yeah, how, how, how do you standardize what you're doing? How do you decide on your resources? What tools do you use? Uh, I think so it's, um, it's all about looking at what is material to you. What, where, as I was saying earlier, when we were looking at you know what our project was and where our issues were it's all about sitting down and taking the time to look look at what your problems are and, and then deciding how you're going to tackle them and finding the tools and resources i know that sounds really simple were, were your were your sort of 20 venues or was it the same problem all at times 20 or did you did, did, did different venues I present mean, you with yeah, different challenges? Yeah, we had challenges. different site-specific issues right, yeah. because sometimes we were up a mountain, sometimes we were, you know, by a lake, sometimes it was a really easy public transport link place to get to. Sometimes we were in the middle of nowhere. So there was different issues and also because of the nature of our projects, where we actually physically were, that those pieces of land had different issues for example we had to reroute part of the tour at some point because we consulted with the rspcb and they said actually thank you for coming and speaking to us this really isn't a good time to come and deliver these events because there's nesting birds so then we had to reroute the whole tour so you know it, there were so many different challenges but it's about sitting down and, and really coming up with a strategy of how you're going to tackle your issues and then finding the tools to help you do that so to to go to the um you know, you can. It's how do you so that how do you prioritize? Do you how do you impact? prioritize, and how do you? That was the yeah. question, really. Was yeah. What tools did you use, and how did you decide which ones to to prioritize? I suppose was the question we just got. Yeah. Asked. So okay. So yeah. we knew that we wanted to do the exercise of measuring our carbon footprint. So we worked with um, a carbon calculation tool called Trace, um, which was a brand new tool specific to the events industry. We were one of the first 30 companies to start using it. That was, it's been an amazing journey. A um, lot of feedback, two-way feedback between us about, you know, oh, it'd be really interesting if the tool could do this and, and, you know, developing. There's other tools out there. I've just learned of a new one called Impact All. Eduardo's here. Um, those are tools that you pay for. There's also free tools out there. Um, Judy's Bicycle has one. Also, look to other industries if you're perhaps working on a project that um, has, you know, is slightly more involved with film. Albert have a calculation tool. It's just looking, looking out there and speaking to people and, and seeing what they use and taking inspiration from other industries as well as something I do a lot, looking to film and seeing, seeing what's going on there. For us, um, transport-wise, I was talking about um, attendee travel. So we trialed two two things. We partnered with Big Green Coach Company who work a lot with festivals. We heat mapped where our attendees were coming from and then we worked with them to plan routes that can bring uh, our attendees from those locations from the major cities. We managed to reduce our carbon footprint around 40 tons by doing that. So, you know, and that sounds so simple but to sit down and actually go through that process and, and work that out was, you know, 
was amazing impact. We also tried another tool, um, which wasn't nearly so effective, which was um, a carpooling tool, because we didn't release our locations right until the last minute. We couldn't tell people where they were going to right until a few days before the event, because we didn't want hundreds and thousands of people turning up for these events, because that, that wasn't the point. Um, so we worked with a, a tool called Kinto Join, which is typically used for getting people, employees, to carpool to their office location. And we trialed it um, with our attendees, and it didn't work. There was, the uptake just didn't work. But we gave it a go, and we got feedback from our attendees about why they didn't use it. And it turns out a lot of people were car sharing anyway. But also, there were a couple of barriers to, to using that tool specifically for the nature of our events. But Right, yeah, it might work, might work for for a fixed venue exactly. where people know exactly. it's in the catchment area. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's about trialing different things, yeah. seeing what works, talking to other people, reading other people's reports, seeing what they've given a go, and, and learning to not being scared to, we, we had this saying, fail we may, sail we must. And, and learning to fail fast, giving things a go, learning. We had 20 different events. We could give things a go and be like, oh, that didn't quite work. Let's, tr let's try this. And, you know, it's, it's about experimenting and not, not being scared and taking those first steps. Exactly. And I think, yeah, that's one of the things we, you know, with, with Vision 2025, we've got, we got the platform there. And we, wa we want to share people's success, but we also want to share where things haven't worked. Because exactly. you, you don't want people, you know, every, every, a lot of people are on that journey of doing things and trying things at the moment. And it's kind of like, with energy, with with you know, it's like yeah, let's not be afraid to say, hey, we tried this, and the barrier was. Yeah, it'd be great to say, you know, what didn't work as well as well as what did work, because you can save exactly. people a, a load of time and money, and say, you know, that might not work for you. I mean, in terms of measurement and energy and what works and doesn't, I can hear, I can feel <laughs> you over my sh the energy's uh, coming over my shoulder. Rob. <laughs> one one thing I would say is that there isn't a silver bullet for everything, so it's a very good question to ask. You know, where you know, what suppliers can you use? What what um. Uh, what tools are there out there? But as Rebecca said, you, there's a term in sustainability called materiality, which is you, you look at what is material to your production and what matters the most. So it's, and it's not even necessarily about the biggest impact, because we already talked about one of the biggest impacts, transport is one of the hardest to solve. But what is important to your production? What do you want to achieve from a sustainability point of view, even if it's not the absolute biggest impact? Maybe you think that the biggest impact for your particular production is too difficult to, to, uh, to solve. So, yeah, I, that's, that's the only thing I want to say is that there's a lot of enthusiasm and, and, and a lot more engagement now, but there is still sometimes this sort of um, belief that you can, you, know, you can solve your energy issue just by using HVO in your, in your diesel generators, for example. That's not solving the problem. It's just switching from one problem to another. Yeah, I agree. Do with materiality, you need a strategy, but you've also got to do things from the heart and yeah. really understand. Talk to your stakeholders, talk to your team, and 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 talk and think about your audience and think about what's gonna what's gonna get people going and get people engaged with what you're trying to achieve, and then set your strategy and go for it. <laughs> Very good. On the subject of strategy, I've got another question coming here. The internal sustainable strategies of the events are clear. However, oh, with events being a place of influence, what are your organizations doing to influence attendee mindsets on sustainability post-event? So what do you send your, uh, your, your guests away with? What do you do for education? Do ed Maybe that's one for you. You have, you have a large European audience flowing through your doors there. Definitely. Um so, I mean, on this one, there's, there's a number of 
ways in. Um, I would argue that venues and festivals have a huge cultural cachet, which we are just not utilizing properly at the moment. And you can see how things like in the past, like Live Aid, for example, have really shifted the dial on big cultural issues. I think actually we can be really investing in those, con those conversations now. And as I said a bit earlier, like arming our attendees with the facts and the figures so they can go off and make their own decisions. They might not always make the decisions that we want them to. We can only influence them so much. But ultimately, I think these people are, you know, they are coming to an amazing event. They are listening to music. They're seeing their idols. They are often in a very kind of... Um, malleable mindset there. They're coming there and they want to kind of be inspired. And I think we, we can lead that charge to a, lot, uh, to a certain degree, whether that's through creative campaigns on the screens prior to the gig or information delivered to them on the run-up to the gig or posters throughout the venue. I mean, there's so many different ways you can do it. We're looking to um, do some carbon-removed concerts later in the year, so we're hopefully going to choose some amazing acts that we can then hold down at the O2 and do some really amazing inspiring gigs which are then completely carbon neutral just to kind of try and start changing the conversation and proving that these things can be done they just require a slightly different mindset and a can-do mindset how did your audience react to the Billie Eilish vegan meat-free venue well, and I mean, did you think there was did you did anyone measure like whether that conversation continued in the weeks afterwards so interestingly on that the food sales actually went up versus all of our um, predictions and uh, they were, we sold more food than we would usually do at that kind of event. Now, you know, you can cut stats any which way and I would again argue that obviously the people going along to a Billie Eilish gig are probably going to be more, you know, on board with a vegan menu than the people who are not her fans. But I think it is a really interesting kind of point of difference and I think actually just putting that kind of conversation onto people's radar is a really valuable thing and proving that it can be a delicious menu, a hearty menu which fills you up, all these kind of things. Like they are, it sounds small, but I do think actually being able to take those things, um, show your attendees like how effective they are, hopefully will then just start a conversation back in their own personal lives. And I think it's a great thing for us all to be thinking about a little bit more. I think it was great also that you showed that a venue could actually do it. <laughs> and not and and yeah, so that exactly. was that I mean, was brilliant. You know, it's, it's, people are, yeah. As I said, everything's impossible until it isn't. So, yeah, very good. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of carry on around the table, uh, Benner. I mean, as we go, as we're going into 2023, what's your feeling on what is possible? What 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 would what, if we're sitting here in a year's time? What's going to make you smile? Um, going to slightly cheat and answer that from a personal and professional perspective that's not cheating at all no <laughs> from a professional perspective and um, with legacy marketplace at the moment you can buy products on there and you can source sustainable venues so our two big projects for the next six months we're so excited about is number one we're going to introduce pre-loved items on there because we think the most sustainable item for an event is one that can be reused and as far as we understand, I know there are various initiatives to re reuse items from events, but there's not really a platform per se that will allow people to give event organizers to give back their surplus items and other organizers to then purchase them through the platform. So we're building that at the moment, which we're really excited about. That's fantastic. So that would be things like, like event carpets, Cup wood, whatever, the kind of... Carpets, yeah. lanyards, anything, swag that you've purchased and you don't need all of it. Anything that you've 
is excess or surplus, you can put onto the platform the same way you might do with Vinted or Depop or any of the other secondhand marketplaces. Create that kind of circular economy yeah. where it's reuse, reuse, reuse. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Really hard on that. And we're also going to introduce services as well so that some of, for example, the energy tech that we've been talking about, solar panels on wheels, that it's quite hard to source at the moment. We want to make it easier to source that kind of thing through the platform. So professionally, we're hoping... Like, get Rob's number at the end of the panel then. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, it's been really nice to come to the XL and to Confex and the PA show and the event production show here all together and to see how prominent sustainability is on the stands and to come here and just see badges like this with no plastic, which, I mean, it's such a small thing, but this is the first time I've been at an event like this where there's badges like this throughout. So. I want next year to come along and see the conversations have moved on even further. So to see really, truly sustainable stands here at the event production show, no plastic, nothing wrapped up in single use plastics. So just make sure that, that that's truly embedded. So that, that's my hope for, for the next year. What would your hope for 2023 be, Rob? For 2023? Um, or 2024, you know, in the next yeah, year? I mean, yes. we're... Well, we're concentrating on working with uh, with venues and uh, local authorities and promoters to try and uh, improve the grid infrastructure for uh, places where temporary events happen, so that we can then uh, and we can then bolster that with uh, battery usage as well. And I'm looking a bit further forward, probably than 2024, and I would like to see. In, in maybe maybe five years' time, that we don't need to bring large diesel generators to events at all because there is a, a solution that people have trust in that that works and that is much more sustainable than what we're doing at the moment. And, and I think it's possible to do that now in in a reasonably short time scale. So I, th I think yeah, in the in the next few years we'll be getting there. I know there's a the whole, there's a whole new there's another whole panel there just on uh, yes yeah the grid infrastructure and what it can offer and how and, and that's that's but that's a great a great a great goal for your life there that's <laughs> in the next few years always great to hear a power man saying they want to see no no generators on site that's great <laughs> uh, unless you're a generator supplier unless you, well yeah would you <laughs> uh, how about you Sam Where, what, what would your what would your what do you think your 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 golden goose is for uh, 2023 um, I think it would be good to see um, ambition coming from all levels of all businesses. I think the point was made earlier that, you know, there's an awful lot of kind of top-down thinking in the sustainability industry, I think. And, you know, we can write all manner of policies. It can be amazing. They can be well thought through. They can be super detailed. There can be guides on everything you could think of. But, you know, ultimately, people are busy. Often these things get filed away in a drawer and a folder on your desktop and you just forget about them. But I think actually the education tool is so crucial to this. I think being able to arm everyone in your business and all of your fans and all of your clients and all your suppliers with facts and information can really help encourage solutions from all levels of the business and really kind of bring everyone on that journey with you. So I think, you know, if by this time next year, people are armed with those tools and armed with those facts. Hopefully we'll start seeing a change kind of far beyond what we've seen so far. Yeah, and it feels like it's a really exciting time for that happening right now. I mean, I was with 
uh, Chris up here this morning and uh, and and uh, Vision 2025 have, have sort of taken that the sort of the green events code brought that to fruition and then this morning there was a, a, a sort of a partnership announced with um with Leog and, and with, with Andrew that there's a there's a tool there that's 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 free access to to embed it in and and, and make and make that sort of just just do a sort of effectively a donut assessment on your on your sustainability that's really simple to use and he's making it free for 320 councils I think to, to get into so it's that ease of education of you know, take away the barriers, make things happen, kind of thing. And um, got another. S Do you want to give me your? Yeah, let's have a look. Whilst obviously we want to access every area, uh, wasteful in the industry is waste single use, like a carpet branding, bespoke a, big, a bigger problem than energy and travel. Waste. That's the other thing that we've been working on, Chris. I think next week we're going to have a zero waste report we're launching. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so the waste waste is a massive one. Circular economy is a massive one. Um, uh, just <laughs> it, it, depend, it depends what uh, angle you're looking at it from, basically. Because I, I also agree that single use uh, things are extremely wasteful. And I, I, a lot of the time I don't see the point. I don't see why it can't just reuse things. It's, it's, not, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really. However, if you look at it from... Uh, a carbon footprint perspective, the carbon footprint of waste disposal is actually quite small compared to a lot of the, 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 the big things like transport and energy. It's, it's quite a long way behind that. So if you're, a, if you're an organizer who is, whose main uh, focus is on carbon reduction, waste management won't actually help you that much down that line. But on the other hand, I, I absolutely agree that we should not be just using things once and throwing them away. It just seems, it, I think those attitudes are changing and the, it's coming to, the, like you said, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of um, suppliers here now who are exhibiting, who are concentrating on sustainable products and sustainable uh, offerings to, to their clients. So I think it's moving through the supply chain now and you will get less and less of it. But in terms of waste management, it's quite, diff quite difficult to influence it from that end, from the waste management end. You're better off addressing it from the product in the first place and designing the waste out. Yeah. Have no waste is the ideal. No waste, indeed, <laughs> yes. Well, it's interesting. I've been given the, 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 t the timeout uh, signal from, uh, from over there. So uh, I know there's another panel to, to follow us on. Um, so uh, I'd just like to sort of very quickly... <laughs> That was a very that was a definite timeout, right? I'd like to say thank you to our panel. Very please put your hands together and thank Rob, Amina, Sam, Rebecca for some great input and advice. They'll be around afterwards, I'm sure. Thank you for your attention and be sustainable and we'll look forward to seeing you next year.